Well, amen, and good morning, Radiant Church. How are you? You good? It's good to see you. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, man, I see some new friends as well as old, and glad to uh, be here. For those who uh, may, maybe haven't met yet, my name's Ben, and I serve as the campus pastor up here at Ankeny, and so excited to be able to bring the word uh, today. And uh, are you guys ready to jump in? Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Whoa, there was some excitement there. There was a story that my, my father actually tells, and I heard it uh, quite recently, and the story goes like this. Back when he was a young boy in the Cedar Falls, Waterloo area, this would have been in the 1950s, um, him and his friends, they were playing around or walking around the streets near his home a block away from his house, and his friends and him got the bright idea of, man, wouldn't it be really exciting to like see some fire trucks and some firemen right now. You know, that was their idea. That was the picture they had in their mind. They wanted to see some fire trucks, right? So you know where this story is probably already going. So uh, they, they're evidently in the 1950s, there were these uh, fire boxes or fire alarm boxes here, fire box. Anyone old enough to remember these, by the way, in the room? A couple of you. Okay, excellent. And uh, it looks kind of like a modern day fire alarm pole that with the white and the red, but um, they decided they were going to, they're going to pull the fire alarm so they could see some fire trucks. Makes sense, right? You want to see fire trucks? You pull the fire alarm, I guess. Uh, the problem was though, the problem was none of them were tall enough to actually be the one to pull the box, right? Pull the fire alarm. And so they had another bright idea, and the idea was this, that my dad would lift up his friend, little Johnny, and little Johnny would open the door, and he would pull the fire alarm. And that's exactly what they did, right? You can imagine what happens next. A few moments later, fire trucks are screaming down the street, and to the amazement, bewilderment, and eventual probably dread of the kids, the firemen get out of their trucks near this fire alarm, and they're asking all sorts of questions. Where's the fire? Where's the emergency? What's going on? And I imagine these kids just like shell-shocked probably at what they had done, right? They were looking for the fire, and there was none. My dad tells the story, uh, this is what he remembers next. He remembers feeling his father's hand on his shoulder, right? <laughs> My grandpa's hand on his shoulder. And so, again, this is the 1950s, so you know it's about to go down, okay? Um, and and my, my, dad, my grandfather looks at, looks at my, my dad, who's a little boy, and he looks at him and he says, Peter, did you pull the fire alarm? And my dad, with his quick thinking, he looks, boldface, looks at his, looks at my grandpa, looks at his dad and says, no, dad, I didn't pull the fire alarm. And then this is the most genius line. My grandpa was so quick-witted. My grandpa looks at my father and he says, what did you do? Right? <laughs> perfect response as a parent, right? What did you do? He knew something was up. And so my dad had to confess. He said, well, well, all I did was I lifted little Johnny up, but he, he pulled the fire alarm, right? He was busted. His punishment was that my grandpa made my dad go to the firehouse, go to the fire station and, and wash and wax all the fire trucks. Okay. Yeah, and so when he got to the fire station, the story goes that the fireman showed grace. He had to confess what he had done to the fireman. He said that was punishment enough. Um, but the firemen let him off the hook. They said, well, we just got done washing and waxing the truck, so he got off the hook that day. But isn't that just an, a perfect illustration, perfect story of, of lying and deception? Isn't it interesting that you never have to teach a kid how to lie? You ever notice that? You don't have to teach them how to do it. They instinctively know how to do it, especially when it comes to protecting themselves. 
Oftentimes, Jane will come out with a treat in her hand, my daughter, and I'll look at her and I'll say, Jane, did mom say that you could have a treat right now? And I captured a picture of her uh, <laughs> giving her a response. It looked just like that with Pinocchio, right? Nose elongated way out. The truth is, we instinctively, kids and even adults, if we're not careful, we lie to protect ourselves. We lie to get out of trouble. We lie when it's uncomfortable. And so my question for you, church, is do you lie? Whoa, Ben, coming out of the gate, right? Do, do you lie? Think about that for just a moment. The topic may seem to you as being sort of elementary, right? We all learn at an early age lying's bad, lying has consequences. And yet lying, I believe, is one of the sneakiest sins that we can commit. It creeps up on us, even unintentionally. It isn't always obvious when you're committing it, in fact. There's a word in, uh, in theology, it's the word um, harmartiology, and it's the study of sin, its sources, its effects, how it works. And so I thought today we could dive in together as a church and do some harmartiology on the topic of lying and deception in flattery. Are you guys down for that today? You guys ready to jump in and have some fun and talk about lies? Excellent. Uh, let's dive in. All throughout Scripture, from the very beginning, lying was an issue from Genesis chapter 3 and on. The father of all lies, the accuser, the enemy, comes to Adam and Eve, and he says this. He says, did, did God really say not to eat of the forbidden fruit? Did God really say? Now, that may not have been a bold-faced lie, but he was certainly implying that God had said something Else. And of course, the woman e eats the fruit and Adam as well. And then God confronts Adam after he eats the fruit. Adam, what happened? And Adam, he equivocates. He uses ambiguity. Adam says, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it, right? He blame shifts and deception enters into our world at this moment. And human beings have been reeling from it ever since. Take Adam and Eve's children. Next chapter over, Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, you remember that story? Cain killed his brother Abel. Before he commits this heinous act, though, God warns him. God says these words, Genesis 4, 7, oh, this is striking, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Isn't it interesting that sin is described almost like a predator lurking outside of your door waiting to pounce on you and devour you and have you? And then God's, this is interesting, God says, but you must master it. You must master it. And so today we're going to be diving in hoping to master some sin today with the Spirit's help, of course. But it seems like lying and deception is baked into our world today. Would you agree? It seems like we can't even imagine a world without lying and deception. In fact, movies have been made trying to depict the comedy of that, right? Think of, think of Liar Liar. Anyone? No. Liar Liar, right? Where like, there's hilarity ensues because he cannot tell any form of a lie. We can't even imagine it. But from the beginning, this was never God's intention. You see, God created an Adam and Eve with nakedness, with vulnerability, there was no mask, there was no covering, there was no deceiving. Everything was laid bare. The truth was obvious. And that moral law, that code, the way God made it to be, he eventually codified into law. He turned it into what we now know as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. 
God's moral law. Martin Luther broke the Ten Commandments into two different sections, two tables. The first table is how we interact with God, right? No other gods before me, no idols. And the second half is how we interact with our neighbor, two different tables. And it's important to understand that the Ten Commandments, it's not just about what's forbidden, but it also implies what we ought to do as well, what we are meant to do. Exodus 20, 16, one of the commandments, it says it this way, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Jesus would repeat this in the New Testament as well. Evidently, lying isn't elementary. Evidently, this was important enough to make the top 10, right? (laughs) To make the top 10 commandments. It's interesting. John Wesley, a famous theologian, this is how he um, explains what this verse means and how to flesh it out. Uh, John Wesley would say, this forbids, number one, speaking falsely in any manner, lying or equivocating, and in any way devising and designing to deceive our neighbor. Number two, speaking unjustly against our neighbor to the prejudice of his reputation. Wow. Number three, bearing false witness against him, laying to his charge things that he knows not, or in common converse, or in in other words, like day-to-day common language that we have with one another. This forbids slandering, backbiting. I like this, tail-bearing, which is another form of gossip. We should bring back tail-bearing, right? Don't tail-bear, okay? Um, Aggravating what is done amiss, and in any way endeavoring to raise our own reputation upon the ruin of our neighbors. Wow, right? What a list. What a list. Because this is a violation. This is a violation. Lying is a violation of the natural order of God's creation. That's your fill-in today. Lying is a violation of the natural order of God's creation. Human beings, one another, we were designed to work in unity and harmony with one another from the very beginning. We are the image of God, the ambassadors and representative of our creator. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. God is truth. In him there is no untruthfulness. This is the nature of the universe. Anytime that we go against that truth, anytime we go against that reality, we're fighting the grain of the universe in the way that God intended this life to function. And this can be extremely practical, right? Very, very practical here today. Um, How many of you know that lying is just a colossal waste of time? Think about it. Think about how much time is wasted when when someone tries to deceive and trick and eventually the truth comes out. I believe this is part of the reason why plea deals sometimes lessen your sentence. When you um, plea and confess to something, oftentimes your sentence is reduced because you haven't wasted the court's time, you haven't wasted money, you haven't wasted resources. It's very practical. Lying erodes trust. Anyone in here would be like, I've got 100% trust in my government officials, right? Like, none of us, okay? Uh, Why? Because it seems to be baked into the fabric of, of our, of our uh, country even, uh, many others as well. Uh, lying wastes resources. Lying often isn't safe. Yelling fire in a crowded theater, not safe. Oftentimes with building code, etc. In court cases, it's illegal. You could commit perjury to lie, and lying is bad for business. Not many of us are looking for a mechanic who, you know, will tell us a bunch of work that doesn't actually need done on our truck, um, will charge us double the price for the parts, and jack up the labor hours, right? No, when you look for a mechanic, what do you look for? An honest mechanic. How many have heard that phrase before? It's very practical. But not just in the broader world, 
it's especially true in our interpersonal relationships as well. And that's really what I want to zero in on today, is the interpersonal uh, dynamics when it comes to truthfulness and deception. So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Colossians 3.5. If you don't, no problem, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. You can uh, turn in your phone if you'd like, and we'll dive in. These are Paul's words as he's describing to this church how we are called to put off the old self, put off the old ways of thinking with our fleshly or earthly desires, because now as believers in Christ, we have a new life, a new start, a new way of thinking and being alive as human beings and image bearers. And so, verse 5, note the strong language he comes out with here. Note the strong language. He says, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, I think, spells it out as clear as day. Verse 9, this is what it says. Do not lie to each other. Next slide. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Don't miss this last line. Which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. That's us. You and I, progressively, we are being renewed in the image, in the garden image of our Father and Creator. And so that's why we have to put off all that old self is because it goes against who God in His goodness and genius intended us to be and how to live with one another. Getting back to our intended functions, it goes against the grain of the universe that God created. There's a famous uh, moral philosopher you maybe heard his name, Immanuel Kant. Anyone heard of him? If you ever watched The Good Place, by the way, you know of Kantian ethics, and I think it's funny. Um, maybe I'm the only fan in here, but Kant was a, a very famous philosopher, and he uh, was known for absolutely forbidding lying in any form to another human being, in any form. And so people would press him, and they'd be like, well, what if there's a murderer at your door, and they're trying to, like, kill your spouse, do you just tell the, you know, are you allowed to lie and to protect your spouse? Kant would say, no, it's forbidden, hard path, right? Many of us are like, what? <laughs> um, he would say no, and his reasoning was because he believes that human beings are an ends in themselves. They're not a means to get what you need or what you want out of each other. They're an ends in themselves. He believed there was moral constants, right? And this isn't necessarily even a Christian perspective that he had, but even he, a moral philosopher, recognized that there were laws that shouldn't be broken when it comes to morality. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one, what? Body. If you're a member of Christ's church, if you've, if you've um, put your faith in Christ, and we, we, some of us are an arm, some of us are a leg, some of us are, um, you know, feet, for crying out loud. Um, we're all members of one body, though. 
And so when we don't speak truthfully, when we have falsehood to one another, what it actually does is it creates distance between us, between members of the body. We're meant to live in unity with one another. And so I want you to write this down, that lying distances relationships. I think it's part of the reason why God forbids it. He doesn't like it. It's not in his nature. We're meant to live in harmony and unity with one another, not in distance to one another. Think about it this way. Relationally speaking, um, when we're tempted to lie with, to one another, lying costs very little up front. But oftentimes, eventually, you have to pay it back with interest. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote that says this, A little lie is like a little pregnancy. It doesn't take long before everyone knows, right? It doesn't take long until everyone knows what's going on. It costs very little up front. You may have saved your skin. You may have protected your reputation at first, but oftentimes you have to pay it back with interest. Whereas telling the truth oftentimes costs you something up front. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe, maybe a little bit of relational discord up front. Maybe a little bit of tension that you have to step into. Maybe, maybe losing a relationship because you told the honest truth. But eventually it pays dividends. Eventually there's a return on that investment, oftentimes. The Bible doesn't just tell us that lying is forbidden. It, it then gives us instructions about what is to come out of our mouth, right? It's not just about the negative. It's about what God intended for us to speak to one another. Um, let's continue on in Colossians chapter 3. Jump down to 15. I love this passage. This is so rich, you guys. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen, church? Amen. We were called to live at peace with one another, but lying distances relationships. Not only that, but Scripture here says that we are called to admonish one another. Anyone know what that means? Admonish one another. Here's what admonish means. It's the Greek word uh, nuthateo, nuthateo. It's a verb that means to caution or reprove gently, to warn. And so as bodies of the church or as members of the church in one body, we, we're called to caution one another, to be like, hey, that thing you're about to step into, uh, I just don't know if it's best for you. I don't know if it's godly. I don't know if it's biblical. Hey, I just need to caution you. I need to rebuke you. Hey, that relationship that you've been kind of flirting with and messing around with and that, man, I just, I just gotta, I gotta say something. I gotta speak some truth to you. I don't know if that's good or healthy or right or noble. We as believers are called to admonish one another and this is why lying is so dangerous. It's the boy who cried wolf situation. If, how are we supposed to admonish one another if, if we have a dis- deceitful tongue, right? You lose credibility, Someone doesn't know if you're actually speaking truth and admonishing something that's actually going on in you or, or you're just telling a fib again or flattering for the sake of flattering. I was, uh, I was recently admonished <laughs> and I didn't love it. Um, let me tell you this. So I, I, was, I was hanging out with a friend and I don't even remember what we were talking about and all of a sudden he's like, no, nah, you're lying. 
And I said back to him, I'm like, no, I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. And I, I said with, with a clear conscience, I said, I don't lie. I, I, I promise, like, I don't lie. And I meant it, right? And he, he said this back to me. He said, no, you lie all the time. I was like, excuse me? Reverend Benjamin Mueller does not tell lies. You know, I, I bristled. I was like, what? What are you talking about, right? And, and I just kind of denied it, and I just kind of moved on. I'm like, maybe he was joking or something. I didn't really think much about it, but then I thought a lot about it, you know what I mean? Like, later on, and it, like, kept me up at night. I'm like, what could he have been talking about? Like, and it kind of sent me, if I'm honest with you, it sent me on this journey of self-discovery when it comes to my words and the language I use. And I just kind of leaned into it. I was just like, all right, Lord, like, if there's anything like, that comes out of my lips that's not of you, just reveal it to me. Like, why not? Like, what do I have to lose? <laughs> and, and so eventually through, through the study um, of this and the harm archaeology, I came up with this list um, of, of different forms of deceiving. I put some of them on, on the worship guide as well. See, see what you think about these. Number one, uh, implying an untruth. How about exaggerating? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm just going to confess. That's a struggle for me. Sometimes I exaggerate. I don't necessarily mean to. It just happens. This is a big one. Flattery, otherwise called, called fawning. Have you, ever, have you ever people pleased before? You're not actually speaking what's actually on your mind. You're just trying to, like, keep the peace. Maybe a form of flattery. How about deceiving? Bold-faced lies. Slander and his best friend gossip. Equivocating. This is when you kind of use ambiguous language to kind of like conceal the truth and, you know, you withhold some stuff. How about bending the facts to your agenda or your will? Oof. What about this one? Omitting certain parts of the truth. This is why in court they make you swear and they say to tell the whole truth and what? Nothing but the truth is to prevent people from omitting the truth. What about remaining silent when you hear an untruth? Oof, someone says something about someone else that you know is not actually true. Do you speak up? Man, ouch. Boasting about yourself. Speaking unjustly about someone. Manipulation, or modern phrases, gaslighting people, right? <laughs> Manipulating people to your own will or your own bend. And this, one's, this one, honestly, is a struggle um, that I've discovered. Uh, making excuses. Making excuses. This is a way in which I think we lie to ourselves even more than other people. I mean, we do this with other people, right? Uh, sorry, I'm sick, so I can't go to that obligation that I didn't actually want to go to in the first place. <laughs> I'm not quite feeling well. You guys are quiet, I, I, right? Is there a reason, okay? Some of you are like, don't step on my toes right now, okay? Um, but, but man, we also make excuses for ourselves when we know the good that we ought to do, but we don't do it. Oof. We say, well, I was busy this week. Well, it's not that bad, and everyone else does it. Ah, we lie to ourselves. It's one of the most deceptive things is making excuses. So may I ask you one more time, do you lie? <laughs> do you struggle with this? I'm glad my friend said something to me. And I don't know exactly what he meant, but I'm glad he did because he sent me on this journey saying, like, Lord, purify my lips. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, especially as someone who communicates for a living for, for the gospel. How many of us fail to admonish one another for the sake of not hurting feelings? How many of us, we know there's tension, we know there's this glaring thing, we don't say anything at all, because uh, what if they take it the wrong way? I know I struggle with that. Let me put it this way, and I, I don't miss this, write this down. Withholding or rejecting corrective truth keeps a church spiritually stagnant. 
You guys are staring at me with, with glossy eyes. Can I say that one more time? Let me say that one more time. You guys didn't catch that. Withholding or rejecting corrective truth keeps the church spiritually stagnant. When we withhold the truth that, that we're called to admonish one another with, or, or we reject it when someone actually speaks up and says something to us that we needed to hear, it keeps us from maturing as a church and as a body. Can I get an amen, right? You guys are like, okay, okay, slow down here. We need people who speak difficult but loving truth into our lives. Let me put it this way. Let me, not me, but Proverbs 28, 23. Excuse me. Proverbs 28, 23 puts it this way. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Proverbs 29, 5. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet, traps for their feet. Wow. It's because flattery is the opposite of admonishment. Flattery is the opposite of admonishing. When it comes to flattery, right, like puffing someone up and buttering them up, brown-nosing at work, right, Uh, that's actually, you're actually looking out for your self-interest. Go to this next slide here. It's the opposite from admonishing when you're actually trying to, like, help the other person with this thing that's going on lovingly in their life. Next slide. So flattery is deceiving, whereas admonishing, you're actually speaking the truth. You're not, like, trying to puff this person up or make them think that, you know, they're whatever, better than they are or whatever. Flattery, this next slide, flattery is unproductive. It leads nowhere. It just is a waste of time, whereas admonishment is actually truthful in producing fruit in loving relationship with one another. Romans chapter 16, hang with me, church, you're doing great. Keep away from those who cause divisions, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites, their own self-interest. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think the NIV puts it, what the heart is full of, the mouth speaks. Our lies reveal something about our hearts. When, When we exaggerate to impress others, because we're actually dealing with insecurity maybe in our own heart. When we deceive people and trick them and get our own way, is there malice in our hearts? When we flatter people and fawn and and we try to puff people up, maybe it's because we're fearful that we won't get that promotion or they won't like us if we don't or we present ourselves as, as being likable. What's going on in the heart? That's what it always come, came down to for Jesus, out of the overflow of the heart. This is a challenging word for us today, and it was ch- it's been challenging for me. It really has, but in a good way. I don't know about you, but I love diving into um, just, just knowing how I operate and, knowing, and allowing the Lord to like reveal that to me. God, reveal what's going on in my heart. And I realize that this conversation about lying um, raises all sorts of unanswered questions. We recognize that here today. What I would say, like, there's gray areas in this. Maybe I hesitate to say gray areas because I don't think they're gray to God probably. But for us in our broken world we live in, like, unanswered questions like lying, is lying okay in business when it comes to, like, negotiating or disclosure agreements or whatever? How about in games and sports where their goal is to deceive people like poker or mafia? What about when it comes to safety of someone, the murderer at the door? It's the classic example of like, there's Nazis knocking at your door and you're harboring Jews. What do you do, right? How about, how about lying to thwart evil? 
as in warfare or espionage. Protecting people's feelings. Wow, we do this all the time. There's something called noble lies, which Plato said were the lies the government withholds from us in order to keep the peace and protect us, right? Roswell, you know what I'm saying? Um, how about pleasantry? Someone comes up to you and they, and they say, hey, how you doing? And you say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. Liar, right? Are you supposed to, <laughs> um, how about joking around? Jocose uh, jokes, you're just kind of, protect- how about this one? Protecting innocence, like how many of you have ever had this, ha- had this happen where a kid comes up to you and they say, Mom, Dad, where do babies come from? Uh, right? Like, are you going to tell the whole truth and nothing but the tr- truth there, parents? Right? You guys are awfully silent right now. That was supposed to be funny, but some of you guys are like, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do? Unanswered questions, right? I don't know. Uh, how about with fantasy? You're, you, bring your kid to, you bring your kid to Disney World and they believe they, they met Cinderella. Are you supposed to look at them and be like, actually, young Susie, that's actually a paid actress uh, for a fan? I don't know, right? These are, there's all sorts of situations that we're not going to be able to deal with today. But I encourage you, if you have thoughts on these, uh, email them our way. We're, we're curious to hear on that. But the Lord will provide wisdom in each and every situation for us. He will give us the words. I believe that. But how many of us, man, we struggle with all sorts of different ways of, of deception and not even realize it. Um, it brings up the question, like, what do we do when, when we've wronged someone, but they don't even know it? Is it right to bring it up to them? Or are we just harming them? One of the best pieces of advice I ever received was when someone looked at me and they said, Ben, sometimes it's best to let sleeping dogs lie. As in, don't go wake that thing up if it's sleeping there. In other words, don't bring something up that they maybe don't, aren't aware of, and you're just going to cause this huge issue and hurt their feelings just so you can get it off your chest and feel better. And I don't know the line on, on some of that stuff. It's tricky. Is it a sleeping dog or is it an elephant in the room? For those who like confrontation, everything's an elephant in the room. We're going to confront it. We're going to confront it now, right? For those who hate confrontation, everything's a sleeping dog. Just let it lie. Don't bring it up, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. A general principle and a great rule is, of course, found in Scripture. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Not benefiting ourselves, not just so we can get it off our chest, but that it builds others up. And how do we build one another up, church? First Corinthians, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Love is always the key. Love is always the qualifier. Love is always the checks and balances when it comes to this conversation. That we aren't to be a people of brutal, unbridled honesty, but we're also not called to avoid hard truth either. Ephesians 4.14 summarizes it this way. Listen carefully, church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. A great guiding question for every one of us as we, together as one church, living together in one another's lives, bumping elbows with one another, rubbing each other the wrong way sometimes, a good question to ask ourselves is, What's the most lovingly honest thing I can do in this situation? What's the most lovingly honest thing I can do in this situation? There's times you've got to admonish. And there's times you've just got to keep peace. 
May God give you the wisdom to know the difference. The church, I believe, in its purest form is like a marriage in that the church is able to see you for all your flaws. That masks are taken off. You're vulnerable in front of one another because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That as a church, we can come together and we can say, yeah, I know what my sin is. Here it is. I'm, I'm gonna, I can freely confess that to my brothers and sisters in Christ because I know I'm not going to be met with judgment because Christ has already brought that to the cross. He crucified it. It's gone and forever with. And so I can be vulnerable. I can be naked in front of my brothers and sisters in Christ and I'm going to allow them to freely admonish me, to freely speak into my lives truths and psalms and hymns and encouragement that I need in order to mature and become more Christ-like in his name and by his power. That's the perfect image of the church, admonishing and loving one another in a safe, judgment-free zone, speaking truth and love like a marriage. It's the perfect blend of loving, committed relationships and truthfulness. Bottom line, church, is this. Lies hinder the truth we're called to share, not only with one another, but with with a lost and dying world that so desperately needs to hear the truth that Jesus is Lord and he loves you no matter what and that you can die to your sin, you can be forgiven and set free from that, you can walk in new relationship with him because of the kingdom that he ushered in, that you don't have to walk around in shame and guilt and muck anymore, you can have a new life, that the old ways of how you used to talk, the old deceiving nature that you used to walk in, you can now have new life, free life in him by what he did on the cross. That's the hope of eternity with one another and with the world. To some degree or another, we all struggle with speaking the truth. But Psalms 19 reminds us of this. But who can discern their own errors? I can't. Can you? I need people. I need you. I need my friend. Even though I didn't like it, I needed him, right? Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. May we all just pray that even in our hearts right now. Forgive my hidden faults, God. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. A callback to Genesis 4. May we master with the power of the Spirit, not just by our own willpower, not white-knuckling it, not writing lines on the chalkboard or on a piece of parchment. I must not tell lies until our hands bleed, right? Not forcing it, but with partnership in the Holy Spirit. May we be filled with him as John 16 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. We need the spirit. We need his help every day. I need it. I imagine you do too. He will guide us into being truth bearers, truth carriers. So Radiant Church, let us stand out even at great cost to ourselves for what's true and right and good. Let us put off falsehood. Let us not lie to each other, but let us admonish one another in grace and love and safety. And let's do it in the power and emboldenment of the Spirit. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace.